0: Well, welcome and thank you for joining me in this episode. I'll share with you my conversation with entrepreneur, podcaster and author Scout Sobel as part of our 2021 Productive Living series. You'll find more information about Scout along with links to resources she recommends and the various ways you can connect with her online, all in the show notes for this episode at theproductivewoman.com slash 360. Appropriately, but not by design, this episode is brought to you by Calm. And you can consider this little ad spot as your mental health checkpoint. How are you feeling today? Are you feeling a little anxious? Maybe you haven't been sleeping well or lacking focus. It's okay to need help sometimes, and Calm can help provide support. I am so happy to be partnering with Calm, the number one mental wellness app, to give you the tools that improve the way you feel. Using Calm, you can clear your head with guided daily meditations, improve your focus with Calm's curated music tracks, and drift off to dreamland with Calm's imaginative sleep stories. I've talked more than once about how I enjoy the sleep stories, how many of them I've used to help get to sleep or get back to sleep if I wake up in the night, and I highly recommend them. I pay for my subscription and if you go to calm.com slash TPW, you can get a limited time offer of 40% off a Calm premium subscription, which includes hundreds of hours of programming with new content being added every week. Over a hundred million people around the world, including me, use Calm to take care of their minds and you can sleep more, stress less and live better with Calm. For listeners of the Productive Woman podcast, as I said, Calm is offering a special limited time promotion of 40% off a Calm premium subscription. And to find out more, you can just go to calm.com slash TPW. That's Calm, C-A-L-M, Dot com slash tpw for 40% off unlimited access to Calm's entire library. Once again, that's calm.com slash tpw. And now let's get into my conversation with Scout. I am so pleased to introduce to the Productive Woman listeners, Scout Sobel. Scout is CEO of Scout's Agency, which I will ask her more about in a bit. She's the co-host of the OK Sis podcast and the author of a new book called The Emotional Entrepreneur. She lives in San Diego with her husband and Princess Pomeranian. Her favorite things to do are journal, read, and have happy hour with her friends. And Parks and Rec and Jurassic Park make her the happiest. I have been so looking forward to talking with Scout about how mental health fits into making a life that matters. So welcome, Scout.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to get into all of
0: that. We're going to get into it a little bit later, but I was telling you earlier, I really enjoyed reading your book. I don't consider myself an entrepreneur, uh, but so much of what you said in there resonated with me. And so we're going to get into that a little bit later. But before we do, maybe uh, I gave a little bit of an introduction to you. But is there anything else uh, that we ought to know about who you are, where you are, what you do uh, as we get into this conversation? I think the
1: most important thing, or I guess the more detailed thing is really that, you know, my entrepreneurial journey, that bio that you just read, started with so many different iterations until I got to where I am. And it wasn't until I found podcasting that all of this really became possible. So I'm really excited to get into talking about not only entrepreneurship and mental health, but really about how it took me many steps to get here, I think is such an important part of of that entire bio.
0: Yeah. And that's so true for a lot of us. And that's why I think your your story is so, so interesting and so relevant to the things we talk about on the Productive Woman podcast. When your team reached out to me about you potentially being on the podcast. And I saw a little bit about your story. I thought you're a perfect person to come and talk as part of our productive living series this year about the issue of mental health. And it's relevant to the book you've written, but it's it's sort of relevant to everything that you're doing. That The focus, I think, of this episode is going to be mental health and its relationship to productivity and to making a life that matters, as we talk about in on this show. And so can we talk just a little bit about mental health and why you're the perfect person, I think, to talk with me about your own personal journey?
1: Yeah, so, you know, at the age of 14, I experienced my first depressive episode. And to, to be honest, when I look back, there was a lot of signs that started coming up between the ages of four and six a lot of behavioral problems, a lot of um, social isolation, my tendency to socially isolate at a young, young age. Uh, I remember the first moment I felt and experienced anxiety. It is one of my earliest, most poignant memories. But it wasn't until I was 14 that I, I really fell into a very long, very deep depressive episode, and it happened quite quickly. And that is really what started my trajectory into the world of mental health and mental illness. And it has been a very, very long road with different iterations and different um, symptoms along the way. It wasn't until I turned 20 that I was formally diagnosed with bipolar disorder. And following that diagnosis, you know, I had to drop out of college. I was put into outpatient programs. They uh, locked me up on an inpatient at one point. And I had been, you know, over the years having a trial and error with medication, et cetera. And in my early twenties, my psychiatrists and doctors alike, therapists, etc., were having conversations with me and my family about how I was potentially someone who who was unfunctioning in society. I couldn't hold a minimum wage job. I couldn't attend school. I really, really was what I didn't have the tools and the strength to combat the depression, anxiety, hypomania, catatonia, psychosis, paranoia that my brain was. Inflicting upon me to move through and assume a position of responsibility and purpose within this world, and it wasn't until I found entrepreneurship at the age of 23 that I found a place that my mental illness could dance in. You know, bipolar has high highs, low lows, and and so does entrepreneurship. So in many ways, they parallel one another in pattern and behavior. And you know, at this moment, I am almost 30 and. I will say that while I became a functioning member of society because of entrepreneurship more in my mid-20s, it really has only been until a year and a half that I finally have felt safe and comfortable in my emotional experience. I've come to a really, really beautiful place of acceptance and not resistance. And so through my experience, medication, psychiatrist, hospital visits, outpatient, inpatient, psychosis, you really name it, I today have come to a very grounded place where those experiences as well as my mental illness and the experience it provides me is no longer my enemy, but really truly rather my guiding light. I have seen what has I've seen my life transform when I put my emotions on my side rather being at war with them. And so this mental health journey will always be the my highest of priorities in life. And I get to also live despite the challenges that it brings me.
0: That's such a an inspiring story. As I th- listened to you and as I thought about this, both while I was reading your book and in preparing to talk with you, I, I can't help but say, I, I admire your willingness to share your journey and how it has affected your ability to be productive in the world, to contribute in the ways that you are contributing. Because for a long time, issues of mental health were so stigmatized that nobody would talk about them. And in, in some circles, they still don't. And to me, Mm -hmm. that makes it very hard to make a meaningfully productive life, if you are feeling like you have to conceal and be secretive about something that's pretty significant in your life,
1: you know, it's so interesting that you say that because that's really I mean, that's really the response I get a lot when I speak about my experience is thank you that's so vulnerable and courageous of you to share, et cetera, et cetera. And you know, it's difficult for me to take credit with for that compliment. I'm I'm all about accepting a compliment where compliment is due, and sharing my story. I I I understood that there was a stigma and a shame around it because I didn't know anybody else with a mental illness the way I had one. And when I was diagnosed at the age of 20, you know, Instagram wasn't around, mental health awareness wasn't a thing, self care wasn't prioritized, therapy for therapy's sake wasn't a situation that most people engaged in. So I understood that it wasn't mainstream, quote unquote, and I never for one second thought that I shouldn't share my story, if that makes sense Laura. I never I share my story so openly. My sister honestly gets annoyed. I'll tell the barista, you know, because I didn't understand why if this was my human experience, if it was my human experience and is my human experience, that makes it true. And why should I not speak the truth of who I am? And so there was never a part of me that had to get over this, like, be who you are and tell people this, because this was predominantly my life for so long. And so I think because of the severity of my mental illness, there wasn't really an option to not speak about it, because it really was the main focus of my life for so long. And I never understood why I shouldn't speak about it. And so the only reason I've really come to understand that it is courageous is because people like you have told me it is. And I think it's a really important thing to maybe adopt in that if it's your truth and it's your life experience, it gets to be shared.
0: Yeah. And so what would you say to someone who maybe is in a similar situation to where you were when you started being told because of this, this mental illness you're not going to be a functioning member of society. So you, how do you get from that point to where you are today, where you are running a business that serves, you know, women podcasters or, and women who want to be on podcasts, you are hosting two different podcasts, you're writing a book, you're, you you know, you've maintained a, a marriage relationship and all the things that you're doing. How do you get from a mental illness that is going to incapacitate you basically to where you are today as a fully functioning, you know, contributor to, to the good of mankind, so to speak.
1: There was one very pivotal moment in my life where I started taking radical responsibility and accepting that these are the cards that I was dealt. My now husband, then boyfriend, when a few months into dating, he looked at me, he, uh, backstory, he, is 10 years sober and comes from the recovery world from, you know, he's sober off alcohol and, and drugs, etc. And he looked at me and he said, listen, I don't care if you're depressed. If you're depressed and hopeful, I will be in this relationship. If you're depressed and hopeless, I can't be with you. Mm. In that moment, he showed me what was actually in my control. Mm. He showed me that I had the ability to have hope, to have faith, to express gratitude. Instead, I was at that point living in the victimhood mentality and listening to what others decided and prescribed for my strength thermometer Hmm. of what I could and could not do. So when he said that to me at that point, I had lost my college experience. I had had to quit many internships and jobs that were given to me, a lot of opportunities. My relationships were strained. My family was constantly worried about me. I decided that I wasn't going to lose him as well. And so I decided to add in hope. Mm -hmm. And with that hope, the energy kind of pulled me along. I started reading self-help books. I started going to support groups. I started... um, saying three things I'm grateful for every morning before that was even a practice that we've all think God adopted. And so, you know, I think that if someone is listening, who is feeling very, very hopeless in their situation, they're most likely feeling hopeless because others have put parameters around what they are capable of doing in this lifetime. Hmm. And those parameters are false limiting beliefs. They are narratives that you do not need to personally adopt. Hmm. There is so much in our control, regardless of a diagnosis. There is so much out of our control and those are the things I accept and move on from. And yet understanding where we can show up for ourselves, even when it feels hard, you know, that was when I was 21. It took me until I was 28 to really get to a point where I felt safe in my mental illness and I felt strong enough to really feel as if I had a handle on my life that wasn't me just trying to push through and get through it. And so there has to be this willingness and this acceptance to put in the work over a long period of time and this just radical responsibility for the cards that you've been dealt. Mm -hmm. You know, we all have cards that were dealt and we can do two things with them. We can complain about them and victimize our life, or we can use them to empower ourselves. And so I decided to walk through my emotional fire, to figure out the depths of my purpose, to figure out the depths of my strength, to figure out the depths of what I want to do here. And then I just got to work and did it. It was not easy. It is not easy. There are moments where I question God why I am feeling the way I am feeling. And today I know that I was given feelings for a reason and a purpose, and I get to explore that within.
0: Wow. I I found myself tearing up as you were saying all of that. I mean, that is so relevant, whether it's someone with mental illness or anything else in life, recognizing whatever cards you've been dealt. Okay, there they are. They're real. I'm not going to pretend they're not, but look beyond that to, okay, what can I control? is so important that it's such an important lesson for all of us to learn. And I think it's awesome that you, I, from my perspective, you learn that relatively um, early in life. I, I'm, I turned 61 this year. So, you know, someone who, who learned those sorts of lessons in even in their late twenties, I, I I think that's fabulous. There are so many lessons like that that I didn't learn until just the last few years. So, I want to ask you about something you mentioned on your website, and you kind of touched on it just now when you were talking, this idea about feeling safe in your emotions so that you can have a purposeful, meaningful, and fulfilling relationship with your life. Can you talk a a little bit about what you mean by feeling safe in your emotions and why that's so important? Yes,
1: it is the ultimate mantra for my life. You know, when we feel an uncomfortable emotion, let's use anxiety as an example, we have a pain, right? The pain is the anxiety. The suffering comes from the anxiety about the anxiety. And we have anxiety about the anxiety because we don't feel safe in our current experience. And so if I could figure out how to not negate the anxiety, not resist it, not deny it, but allow it to live in my body and not catastrophize that second layer of anxiety about the anxiety, aka the suffering, that I could simultaneously feel an emotion, honor it, uh, give it space, not resist it, not make it wrong, not judge it, while also having a really deep understanding and foundational belief that I am safe within this experience. Mm. And feeling safe within that experience truly allows the emotion that's uncomfortable, heightened, um, catastrophizing your thoughts, et cetera, in your body, it allows it to pass much quicker. I think that a lot of the suffering and to be honest, a lot of the reason that I was so stuck within my disorder was because that I didn't feel safe in my emotional experience. The narrative I told myself was, well, my bipolar disorder has the ability to destroy my life. Look, It stole my college experience from me. It robbed me of this internship at C Magazine that I was loving, quote unquote, loving. It has taken these, you know, it has kept my parents up sick with worry at times. It has locked me up into a hospital. My emotions are dangerous. And that created a distrust and a disease, disease quite, you know, Mm -hmm. quite literally, in my body and my belief system. And it wasn't until I read Untamed by Shannon Doyle, where she says something along the lines of when... She said to herself, I can't take this anymore, which is something that I would text my husband constantly. She realized that she was taking it again because five seconds had passed and she was still alive and surviving. And it totally reframed my belief system around my emotions because every time I would feel that initial pain, we'll call it you know, anxiety for this uh, example, I would feel as if I can't couldn't take it anymore. And then I would catastrophize my state of being and want it to be anything other than what it currently is. And in that provide a lot of suffering, but I was failing to see the truth was that I could survive them. And I was surviving them because every single time I said, I can't take this anymore. Guess what? Two seconds later, there I was taking it. And mm-hmm. so I recognized that my distrust in my emotions, my inability to feel safe within them was producing a surplus of surfer- suffering around a diagnosis that already provided enough pain as it is.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So. The way that I changed this belief system is the same way that I came to believe it in the beginning, which was I said it to myself over and over again, I am unsafe in my emotions. That's what I said, that's what I felt. And so I started embodying and writing down, I am safe in my emotions. I put it on a post-it note and I put it on my mirror. When I was anxious, I would stop what I was doing. I would sit at my journal and I would write over and over and over and over again. I am safe in my emotions. I am safe in my emotions. I am safe in my emotions. It was my wallpaper to my uh, phone. It was the background of my computer. It was, you know, it it was everywhere short of a tattoo on my body, right? (laughs) And in saying that to myself and almost meditating on its repetition, a couple months went by and I started to feel safe. I started to provide myself with the mental evidence that I could feel depression. I could feel sadness. I could feel anxiety. And I would survive, and I did survive. I still survive every single time. And so, this belief of feeling safe in your emotions allows you to accept when uncomfortable emotions visit and deal with it with a really beautiful trust versus a total chaotic energy.
0: Such a profound thing to understand. I've I've said many times in the past. I mean, one of the things that I've learned in the last few years is. The only thing worse than feeling bad is feeling bad about feeling bad. And that's yeah. kind of what you were saying. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever heard of a, there's a podcaster, a life coach kind of person, Brooke Castillo. I mm-hmm. think she's the one who has said uh, that I heard her say once that was so profound. And it's similar to this, that pain is inevitable, but suffering is optional. hmm That we create the suffering, kind of what you were saying there, that by being anxious about the anxiety or, or, you know, or being depressed about the depression, that we magnify the suffering by fighting against it. Yeah. Once you
1: realize that, then you realize that so much of your life is actually your doing, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So much of your life is actually so completely in control. I don't have control of anxiety initially visits me. I do have control over how I react to it. Yeah. And I can react to it in a way that makes everything around me and inside of me worse, or I can react to it in a way that makes me feel foundational and grounded and safe.
0: Yeah. I, I think it's important to acknowledge. I agree with you a hundred percent that so much of what we experience in our life we are, is, is of our own making that is not a condemnation. That's a cause for celebration. Because if I'm doing it to Mm -hmm. myself, I can stop, I can learn how to stop, I can learn how to make it better. And that's really what I think, what you were saying there is once you recognize that how I'm reacting is what's making this so difficult or making it more difficult than it needs to be, I can learn a different way to react, I can learn a different way to respond, whether it's, the things you talked about journaling or or saying words words have meaning and they matter uh, and so so much of what you're saying is is so resonant and so important i think for all of us to to get a hold of i want to talk in a minute about your book um specifically about why you wrote it and all of that but first of all i kind of on the same line of what we were just talking about in the book, one of the phrases I underlined that you use several times was out of alignment. You talked about being out of alignment. What does that mean to you? And how would that affect our ability to be productive in the world?
1: Being in alignment for me is being in flow. It's an indicator. It's an internal indicator that what I am doing is of the highest purpose. It is. Specifically related to my makeup, my interests, my belief system, again, my purpose here on this planet. And so when I'm in alignment, I feel light and excited and happy, and energy moves uh, very with no restrictions, right? I can write something and all of a sudden not feel as if any time went by. I can engage in a project and just put my whole heart into it, and I don't feel drained. I actually feel energetic. So When we are in alignment, it is when we feel so in our purpose, so in our personal power, exactly where we are supposed to be and exactly where we really want to be. It's the highest vision for our lives. And when I'm out of alignment, I feel tired and frustrated and I more easily snap at my husband. I am more selfish. My ego gets in the way and I believe that I'm separate from other people things feel difficult to move through. So, you know, I think that so many times in our lives, we think, well, this is just the way it is. And this is, you know, it it has to be difficult and I have to do things a certain way to live in the society. And it's just simply not true. Mm -hmm. Not all of us are meant to be more in the analytical math side of things. Some of us are meant to be more in the creative side of things. So it's really about finding where's your zone of genius? What lights you up? What excites you? What do you want to do where the energy is just so pulling you toward it that you're so excited that it gives you energy that you feel really connected and rooted while also feeling very expansive about your life's possibilities. For me, being in alignment means that everything I'm doing, even when it's challenging, because that doesn't mean that the things that are in alignment, you know, challenges won't come up. It just means that when I'm in alignment, even the challenges are worth walking through Mm -hmm. because the end goal, the end feeling, the end thing that I'm creating or the current thing that I'm creating and currently in is something that I so stand behind and that I so want to embody and live. So for me, my bipolar disorder constantly checks my alignment. If I'm out of alignment, you know, maybe I took on too many clients at scouts agency and we really need to keep our roster at this number my bipolar disorder will tell me, hey, that extra client you brought on, that's out of alignment. Mm. If a client wants me to do a custom package and I agree to it and it wasn't exactly feeling, you know, like a full body yes for me, it becomes out of alignment. And so for me, it's all about making decisions in my life that are in alignment, because if they're not, it's going to self-destruct in some way anyways. And so I might as well be making decisions around my life that I'm excited about engaging in. Mm.
0: I love that it's a great kind of touchstone for decisions that we make in our life. And so that, I think that's really helpful. I'm trying to be so conscious of not taking up too much of your time, but there is so much in the book that was so valuable. Let's do this. Let's talk about the book because I keep referring to the book, which is just out as this episode is being published. It's called The Emotional Entrepreneur. And it's about, obviously, emotional entrepreneurship. What does that mean to you? And how How does that relate to those of us who maybe don't see ourselves as entrepreneurs? I know that's kind of a compound question, but talk about the book and why you wrote it, what it means to you, and why it can be so valuable to even those of us who aren't entrepreneurial.
1: Well, one, the Emotional Entrepreneur book is the ultimate emotional guidebook for entrepreneurs or anybody who is really looking to architect their life, to the best abilities, to their dreams, whatever they see in their head, they're trying to make into a physical reality. I wrote it because as I became successful with Scouts Agency, I noticed that one, it was highly emotional. It was the biggest personal development journey I've ever been on. It highlighted my strengths and my weaknesses and put them on full display for the entire world to see. And The reason I became successful is because I persevered through every single emotional challenge that I was faced with, whether client work highlighted the um, people-pleasing tendencies that I have and my inability to be okay if someone doesn't like my work. What does that mean about me? Uh, what, What power am I giving to other people over my life, et cetera? Whether it was, you know, revenue problems and me having to deal with uncertainty and taking risks, how do I emotionally handle that leadership stuff? How do I place boundaries around situations? And so I recognized very early that entrepreneurship and businesses is not a game, you know, not completely a game of strategy and PLs and and cash flow, et cetera. While obviously those are the framework that make up the business and the health of the business, the ability to succeed and grow a business really comes down to the owner and the entrepreneur's emotional resilience. And or the emotional ability to say, I'm ready for this. And I will walk through these fires in pursuit of growth. So I also started seeing that so many women were not starting businesses of their dreams because of fear of putting themselves mm-hmm. out there or not being able to handle, not having a stable paycheck, etc. And I also recognize that people aren't even getting in the game, not because they don't have the resources or the money or whatever it is to start tomorrow or today, They weren't getting in the game because of their emotions. And so I wrote this book. It is 25 lessons of emotional mindset, emotional mindset lessons that I acquired through living with bipolar disorder that have helped me walk through the entrepreneurial fires that are really required of us when doing this and building this life. So in them, we're talking about there's a chapter on fear. There's a chapter on failure. There's a chapter on risk, anxiety, celebrating small wins what to do when people don't believe in you, how to believe in yourself, how entrepreneurship is highly personal, all of these things. And as you said, you might not be an entrepreneur, but I think that the lessons in these books can really be applied to anybody who is looking to live their dream life.
0: Yeah. And I agree a hundred percent because, as I've said, I, I'm not, I, I don't consider myself an entrepreneur. But I was taking notes, uh, you know, and highlighting provisions in this book. One of them you just sort of mentioned it. I wanted to ask you about. You used a phrase. One of the things I highlighted in the book because I just thought it was so great. You you talked about failure as a beautiful mentor. And I love this reference in the Mm -hmm. book, and I'd love to explore what you mean by failure as a beautiful mentor.
1: I think that failure needs a rebrand. I think it's a terrible word just because it feels like impending doom to so many. Mm -hmm. And so that whole chapter is about reframing your relationship to failure. Failure is not anything to be ashamed of. In fact, every single person experiences what we like to call failure, if they are an entrepreneur or not. And so accepting that that's part of the, the game called life, you know, we all feel sad and yet we don't feel necessarily shame and isolate so significantly when we feel sad. But there's something about failure that we take quite personally. And rather for me, failure is just this, this mentor that says, nope, right was the wrong way, turn left here. Mm -hmm. or it's the thing that gets you closer to the success. There's some quote by someone, which is terrible that I don't know the name or the exact quote, but it has stuck with me for so many years. It's this idea of failing fast so you can get to success quicker. Mm -hmm. And I think that's such a beautiful idea and one that I've really adopted. In the beginning, it was like, okay, every mistake that comes at me is just a learning period. So I can get so good at this and be so successful. So when failure is just a way as just a mentor, essentially that says wrong turn, here's the right turn. Mm-hmm. It's one of the most beautiful experiences we can have because we can decide to do things all day, ro- all day long. But when people respond and it's quote unquote, a failure, we are given information that is invaluable. Okay. My product is too expensive. The market won't take it like this. What if I put it down $2 and, you know, then it sells tremendously. It's just these really beautiful pieces of information that you cannot arrive at unless you experience something first.
0: Yeah, I think it's Thomas Edison who was asked about the hundreds and hundreds of things he tried when he was trying Mm -hmm. to invent the light bulb again I don't know the exact quote or the exact number but I remember reading it some time ago that when he was asked about whether that was discouraging and whether he felt like giving up because he had failed so many times his response was something to the effect of not at all because now I know you know x hundred ways that don't work and, and so I've narrowed mm-hmm. the field of what will and one of the the quotes from the book where you you talked about failure that I wrote down because I thought it was, really an important lesson to sort of incorporate into my own thinking. You said you are never a failure if you learn from something that didn't work and use those teachings to add more color to your life. I thought what a great perspective to have on that. I am one who has never been good at doing things badly at because i t- you know i consider it a failure and i don't want anybody to see me fail but l- taking this perspective that you talk about and and considering failure as a beautiful mentor that teaches me Things that that I need to know. I just think that's such a great perspective to to build in, and if we could all sort of internalize that, I think we'd all be a lot happier and and more willing to to try things.
1: Amen. I think that if we reframe it, then there isn't the fear of hopping into the game in the first place, which allows us to create experiences, products, um, new mindsets, new relationships, etc., without that fear of what we think this word means about us.
0: Yeah. And that's really what it's about. It's not failure. That's the problem. It's the stories we tell her- ourselves about what it means about us. That, that, that's mm-hmm. what becomes the problem. Well, there's so many good things in the book. You know, I think r- rather than turning this into a marathon podcast episode, I, I want to encourage people to check it out because Among other things, you have a great section on ways to cultivate self-worth, some very practical tips for that. One of the tools that you mentioned in the book for maintaining a healthy and productive life is morning and evening routines. And there's some great stuff in that that I would encourage people to check out. So rather than than having you just sort of recite the whole book, I'm going to point people to that book and encourage you to check out that book. It's available as this episode is being published. So before we go, though, I want to ask you a couple of things. As I mentioned early on, our conversation today is part of the Productive Living series that I'm doing this year on the productive woman podcast. And on the podcast, we talk often about productivity as more than just getting stuff done, crossing things off the list, but in the sense of making a life that matters. And I want to ask you, what does it mean to you to make a life that matters? To me,
1: making a life that matters means that I am simultaneously so grateful for my life while also giving back to the world as a collective. I think that in the beginning of starting Scouts Agency, my my purpose was narrow. It was, I want to support myself financially with a business that I created. And once the financial security to an extent came, then I was able to ask myself questions of, okay, how do I want to relate this feeling, these emotions, this wisdom, the strength that I've had to cultivate within to live with a mental illness. How can I use these stories to impact the collective and the world in a different way? So for me, it's about being in alignment inside so that you can share that alignment with others.
0: Mm. That's excellent. I also want to ask you a question that I have asked every guest who's ever been on this podcast. We've talked a lot about the the challenges you have dealt with and the ways that, that you have learned to live with a diagnosis that could have derailed life completely. And you have, as you, as I mentioned in the book, you talk about the routines you have in place and the things you do to be productive in the world. But despite all that, or because of all that, or however we want to talk about it, do you ever have a day when it all gets away from you or you just get completely stressed out and overwhelmed? And if so, what do you do to get back on track?
1: Yes, all the time, all the time. Um, when that happens, I acknowledge that it's happening and I remind myself that it's temporary and that for it to pass, it has, I have to experience it. Depending on the level of overwhelm and stress, it's packing in some more self-care. It's making sure I get to bed early that night meditating before bed, not mindlessly scrolling on Instagram or watching Netflix, but rather reading an inspiring book that has nothing to do with the thing that I'm stressed out about. So maybe fiction instead of business, get outside, listen to a podcast that's really inspirational, call a loved one. I think in those moments, I double down on self-care and intentional rest versus numbing out. Mm. And I allow it to do its thing and it passes every time.
0: Great advice for all of us. Scout, where can people connect with you online if they want to learn more about what you're doing and, and uh, you know, about Scout's agency or about you, or if they have a question for you, where's the best place for them to find you?
1: Yes, they can find me on Instagram at ScoutSobel. That's going to be the best place. There in the link um, in my bio, I have links to Scout's agency and my two podcasts, Scout and OKSIS. OK And as well as the link in my bio, I will have where you can purchase the book, which is the best place would be on Amazon. So come follow on Instagram. We'll be doing some fun book giveaways for launch week.
0: Excellent. Yeah. And we will have all those links in the show notes for this episode. So before we go, many, maybe most of the women who listen to the Productive Woman podcast are looking for help and encouragement in getting things done and making a life that matters. Thinking about how mental health fits into that objective, do you have any last words for that woman?
1: Yes, truly that if she can cultivate the belief that she is safe in her emotions, she will be able to grow with so much more purpose. She will be able to handle the seasons of her life, the challenges of her life, the dreams of her life, if she can really, really sit there in silence and just feel safe in her emotions. Mm -hmm.
0: Something worth all of us working on for the rest of our lives. Scout, thank you so much for being here with me today. Thank you so much. I really loved this. Over the years that I have been hosting this podcast, I have had the chance to talk with some amazing women about some very interesting topics and and thought-provoking topics, and I've enjoyed every one of them. But I have to say, I am particularly glad to have had the opportunity to talk with Scout and really grateful to her for her transparency and sharing her own mental health journey And the lessons she's learned that we can all benefit from. I do encourage you to check out her book, The Emotional Entrepreneur. As you are listening to this, it has just released. Uh, It's available on Amazon and various other sources for books. Even if you're not an entrepreneur, as I said in the the podcast, I don't consider myself an entrepreneur at all. But even if you're not, you'll find inspiration and practical ideas for taking care of your own mental well-being. Her thoughts, for instance, on ways to cultivate self-worth were particularly helpful to me. I really enjoyed that part of the book and highlighted a, a number of passages and ideas and things I wanted to try. And so I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Scout as much as I did. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Do you have any questions, any comments on the things that Scout and I talked about? You can share those in the comment section of the show notes for this episode, which you will find at theproductivewoman dot slash And you'll also there find a link to uh, where you can buy her book if you want to check That out. You can also post a comment or question on the Productive Woman Facebook page. And if you are a member of the Productive Woman Community Facebook group, that's also a great place to continue the conversation here about the things that Scout and I just began to touch on. If you prefer to share your thoughts with me privately, you can always do that by sending your questions, comments, or suggestions to me at feedback at theproductivewoman.com. And I would love to hear from you. As we wrap up, if, if you'd like some help in establishing self care routines that can help support your mental health remember that calm is offering that special limited time promotional offer of 40% off a calm premium subscription. That's the subscription that I have that I paid for myself. Um, I don't remember if I got the discount or not, because it might have been before I started uh, working with them. But in any event, it's well worth it for all the various resources that they offer there. And you can look Learn more by going to calm.com slash TPW that's C-A-L-M dot com slash TPW for 40% off unlimited access to their entire library. And once more, that's calm.com slash TPW. And thank you so much to calm for supporting the productive woman podcast and productive women everywhere. And that is it for this episode of The Productive Woman. Thank you so much for spending this time with me and with Scout. I hope you found something in it that was encouraging or helpful to you. I'd love to hear your thoughts on what Scout and I talked about, as I said. In the meantime, I look forward to talking with you again very soon. So until next time, remember, extend grace to each other and to yourself and go make your life matter.